Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, talking some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for us here at uscfootball.com. We're going to answer your questions about USC summer workouts. We, I guess we're eight days away from uh, Pac-12 Media Day, so we'll talk maybe a little about that, but answer your questions about the team, Dan and I were both down at USC's player-run practice this morning, so I think we'll talk about that first a little bit ourselves. Any questions or comments, we do love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or if you'd like to call or text the number, 424-254-9141. You can call us, leave a voicemail, you can text us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. And I hope you got the chance to hear our Trojan Blast premium recruiting podcast, about two hours of Gerard Martinez and myself talking USC Trojan football recruiting. That's for VIP members of uscfootball.com only. So if you want to do that, check it out. Perfect time to come sign up. We got lots of coverage of the team from the summer and we're heading into the, the uh, fall camp, of course, and the 2018 season. So this is the time to ramp up. If you're not a member of uscfootball.com VIP member, you should jump in there now. 10 bucks a month. Well worth it. The peristyle is great. And you get lots of great commentary from Chris and Shotgun and Keely and Gerard, myself, and of course, our guest, Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Kind of like the USC defense today. He had a good, uh, <laughs> a good day. Uh, so uh, kind of upbeat. I, I do like the fact that they do look like they're going to show up every day. And, and as I talked to them today on every play, uh, not just on occasion or when they know they really have to show up, like in the red zone or Shariardi's or whatever, but, uh, they, they certainly seem to understand that. So, uh, that was a lot of what we talked to them about today after, uh, what was admittedly a good day for the defense. It certainly was. And we're going to talk about that before we do. I just wanted to. Uh, thank our sponsor, Lisa Beds. Uh, it's funny, we were down at the summer workout this morning and uh, our one of our new intern, Chloe, was down there. She's a graduate student at USC, uh, was on the rowing team, uh, had some problem with her bed and she goes, Ryan, I bought a Lisa Bed. I was very excited for her. So uh, she uh-huh. loves it. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Uh, it's a quality night's sleep. It helps you recover from distractions faster, prevents burnout, helps you make better decisions, improve your memory. Overall, you'll make fewer mistakes. It's not marketing, it's science. So to design a better mattress, Lisa leveraged 30 plus years of experience and hundreds of hours of testing to develop the perfect mattress for all body shapes and sleeping styles. And you can tell it works. I like it. I'm six foot three. I think Chloe's like five, five or something. It works for her. So yeah, it's, it's great that she went in there and loved it. It's a, uh, they try, they want to be. They want to leave the world a better place than what they found it. So they do that with uh, the mattress donations. Uh, they've donated over 26,000 mattresses and counting. They're also teaming up with the Arbor Day Foundation. They'll plant a tree for every mattress they sell. They're committed to planting a million trees by 2025. So that's pretty cool. And you get you get savings. 
Dan. If you want to buy the Lisa mattress, this is what Chloe did. Go to lisa.com, L-E-E-S-A.com slash USC, and you'll get $160 off the Lisa mattress. So I, I made sure I'm like, Chloe, you got the discount right. She goes, yeah, yeah. So um, Chloe did it, our intern. Hopefully you guys uh, will do it as well. Go check out lisa.com slash USC. Wait, so I'm interested about Chloe as, as a rower. Was she on the lightweight crew? Or was she uh, a coxswain? She's a coxswain, uh, yeah, or coxswain, okay. whatever, yeah. If she looks like, uh, yeah, she would be, uh, she'd be a good one. Okay, very, uh, very impressed. Huh? Yeah, she goes out there, she ends up working out. Um, well, she, as an athlete, she goes, works out. She, she'll see the players down there. She works out in the uh, McKay Center and stuff. And then she's doing like 9 to 12 class every day for this graduate study like at Annenberg. Um, so it's kind of crazy. So she was down there this morning until she had to run off. To class, but she's been she's been uh, great helping us out with stuff on uscfootball.com. And I told her I'd mentioned her on the podcast today because I was like, oh, you, that's awesome that you bought the Lisa bed. So um, very cool. But so the workout is what we were talking about uh, down there at USC. A uh, lot of footballs hitting the ground, I guess you could say, Dan. I got to yeah. do instant analysis, uh, but first one I've done in a long time. So I got to do that with Dan Keeley's on vacation. Uh, this week, but just it didn't seem to be the sharpest practice, I guess you could say, for the offense. No, I think you know they're they're finishing up uh, the you know strength and conditioning part of the summer. So I think, and I think they have a pretty good grasp of uh, the playbooks. I think they're real impressed with themselves. They're doing tests, uh, you know, all the time on defense, for example, and. They think that's really helped them. So I think they're pretty up to speed. And on a day like today, they ended up with just the one quarterback, Matt Fink. So, you know, I, I think, again, it's not so much uh, uh, the way it used to be where it was we'd basically evaluate them as uh, summer throwing sessions. And that really you really needed to be able to throw the ball pretty well every time you went out there, and that's what it was all about. This is, this is different. They're trying to, you know, really – be able to hit the ground running in August uh, and trying to, you know, really master the playbooks. And uh, I think they've, they've done mostly that. Uh, the execution on offense maybe hasn't been perfect, but they certainly are missing a lot of guys. Uh, you know, tight ends are way down. Uh, you know, they're going with like eight offensive linemen. Uh, I didn't, we didn't see all the running backs today. Uh, so, it, you know, it's not a surprise that uh, maybe the offensive execution isn't, you know, perfect, and that's not that's not the point of of the PRPs. But uh, the defense is really trying to be perfect. It looks like they're trying to communicate. There, uh, I know some of the people on the P were asking, you know, what was the pressure that the quarterbacks under? And they no, they're they're there's pressure. They're coming hard, and they're in his face. They're, you know, they're obviously no pads. Nobody's tackling anybody. Nobody's hitting anybody. But uh, but he's getting people running at him on every play. I mean, they were really uh, really coming hard today in terms of the blitz and all that kind of stuff. So uh, so the quarterbacks, you know, and today you, you tend to say quarterbacks, and Jack Sears was there for a little bit, but they were under pressure, and so uh, they've got to try to get rid of it you know, fairly quickly. And uh, they just there what there weren't many openings, and if the ball was a little late, you had a defender. Uh, playing the football. So, uh, I like the looks of that. So, I mean, it's like, I know it used to be the days, and we've had three straight quarterbacks as coaches. So you tend to look at, as head coaches, you tend to look at the, 
the game through their eyes. And you knew when it was Lane or Steve, they wanted the offense to do well. I mean, it was important to them. And on some days when the defense really dominated, they weren't happy at all. Uh, and yet you can look at it and I think you got to come away from a day like today and just say, man, that's good for the defense to be, uh, to be playing like that and to be all upbeat and excited and all fired up. And, uh, I just think you have to decide, you know, how you're going to look at things. And I think, you know, with this team, uh, I think looking at it from defense first, uh, is a good way to look at it. Dan, um, I talked to Jenny Harris during the last uh, summer workout. Not this morning, but the last one. I still haven't put the story up yet, but I will. And if you remember, and and so basically what's going on, Dan, you know, talked about this. We're not seeing, like the last couple, we haven't even seen them do throwing lines. It's really just, you know, kind of goof around a little bit and then get right into seven on seven and 11 on 11. It's like preparing for practice. It's, there's right. no competitive periods. There's no one-on-ones. There's not the kind of stuff that we used to see a lot of. And if you remember when Ajana Harris came in, uh, who Crenshaw high school, three-star kid played quarterback and cornerback and, you know, did special team stuff. He hadn't played wide receiver since he was in seventh grade, came out there in the summer and started playing wide receiver against, I forget who the, the DBs were, but was doing great. He was doing this amazing job and really kind of made a name for himself in those one-on-ones in the summer. And I think that really set him up to, you know, have a career. He switched around a little bit, but um, played a lot, you know, over his years at USC. And I asked him, and, you know, if he came in today, he wouldn't have got those opportunities because he wasn't able to do those kind of things in the summer. He would have been like the third string cornerback or something and just would have been going through plays. And you really wouldn't, I mean, maybe he could go out there and make a play, but, I don't think he would have had that same opportunity because these workouts are so different now than they were just a few years ago. Do you think that's fair? Or do you see the same thing? No, that's a good point. I, the point is, and I think, you know, if you structure them and you make them like a practice, uh, you know, the players are running them, obviously, and the coaches are nowhere around, but obviously uh, everybody agrees that this is kind of how they want to go. Uh and that may give you a, you know, running start into August and, you know, a lot more. You, you don't have to go through the playbook as much in that, but you do, uh, maybe lose the opportunity to have a kid like a Jenny show, you know, what he can do because it's more freewheeling and more guys just trying to show you what they can do more one on ones. And, and I know the, you know, when you get an injury like uh, in one on ones, then everybody says, mm, should we be doing that because they go too hard and they really – and it, there's no good answer, I don't think, because if you turn them loose and say, we're going to go one-on-one all out, uh, you're going to see some guys really go hard on both sides of the ball. And so you get a chance to see, oh, man, look at that. And then, But you also get a chance that guy, you know, tears a knee up uh, because there's nobody to, you know, say you – know, Oh, take it easy, slow it down, calm, you know, all of that kind of thing. So I don't know which is the absolutely best way to go, uh, but with a much more structured, uh, you know, uh, sort of depth chart almost, or when you had it freewheeling and guys just jumped in there, and it was, again, it was the more throwing sessions, and uh, everybody did their thing. You didn't see 11 on 11 almost at all. Um, 
he didn't see the defense really uh, doing more than just really the the secondary, uh, you know, working on coverage and, and a lot of individual stuff. But uh, they're much more team oriented now, and you might not be able to make people, you know, notice you right away. Although with this team, you're hearing a lot of upperclassmen talking about a lot of freshmen, a lot of names that they're mentioning and telling you. Yeah, this kid, this kid, this, or they don't always know their names. They'll say, Aka Cedric Ware the other day said, that G kid, you, he said, I don't know all their names yet, but he meant Elijah Griffin. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're, they're getting noticed, but in a different way. But, um, but I don't know. I don't know that there's a good answer as to the more freewheeling individualistic stuff or the, the, the team oriented, uh, stuff. I think it's, that's a really good question. I, I wish it had a good answer. Let's um, let's jump into some of the questions uh, from what we were seeing out there. Nick uh, from Cypress, a.k.a. Big Nick 21, USC from the P. Questions in regards to the incoming freshmen who arrived in the summer. Who is killing it in the PRPs? Hmm. Killing it. Anyone killing it? I mean... You could say uh, Amon Ross. Amon Ross, St. Brown. Yeah. I think you got to say he's killing it. Uh, I would say we haven't seen him as much. JT Daniels uh, almost doesn't do anything wrong. I mean, he does. He, he gets rid of the ball quickly. He's super accurate. He looks confident. Uh, those are the first two names most uh, most of the upperclassmen mention. Uh, they almost all mention Elijah Griffin. A lot of them mention uh, Talanoa Hafanga. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Porter mentioned, uh, Abdul, uh, Malik McLean, uh, and then they, and, and there's always a difference between, well, are you talking about the freshmen that came in in the spring and the freshmen that are just here in the summer? If you talk about the spring guys, uh, they'll always say, uh, Kanai, uh, Mauga. Uh, so, uh, there's a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, uh, the young guys that are, that are killing it, um. As far as I thought, Aka Cedric Ware looks awfully good. I, I just think he looks good. Uh, Jordan Yosefa, man, he's he's 237 pounds. He just he doesn't look like the same kid in some ways. He just really he just looks really legit uh, with what what you're seeing with him. Uh, I think uh, Jenny Harris has had a really really good uh, uh, you know uh, summer. Um, Marvell Tells had a good summer. A lot of the defensive backs, man, they're so interchangeable. So many of them. Iman Marshall is continuing the the leap that we saw him take in the spring. I just thought he, you know, became such a much more of a technique oriented guy and a, a guy that didn't play physical first and, and wasn't overly aggressive. It just used his, uh, you know, his talent and his ability to run with people and locate the ball and play with his eyes and uh, anticipation and his uh, his experience and, and not, you know, worry about somebody if they, you know, get a half a step on you or whatever and you got to grab them and all that. Uh, so there are, a lot of, there are a lot of guys that, uh, you know, that, that you notice. I mean, you notice the three second-year defensive linemen, uh, Jay Tefele and uh, Brandon Peely and, and Marlon Tui uh, Palutu. Uh, he just uh, – He's telling us today that he's going to be 100 uh, percent for the start of um, uh, start of uh, August practice, and uh, that's a 
pretty impressive threesome. That's uh, he's 310 pounds. Looks uh, looks really good. He's still limited a little bit on his uh, uh, you know uh, Olympic weight lifts and that. But other than that, uh, he looks like he's uh, he's going to be able to contribute, and all those guys do. So uh, it's hard to you know. I think Tyler Vaughn's is 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 just a natural. He he just has a a smooth ability to get into his routes and he just he loses people um uh, with it's just kind of an, an easy acceleration that he has and he just looks really really uh confident this year and then opposite him michael Pittman, is just a big brawler you know he's just gonna fight you know for the ball he's also you know it looks like he's playing with confidence so uh i think they got a lot of a lot of people you can look at and say okay i like the looks of of uh, a number of these guys, again, as, as Porter Gustin was saying the other day, it's PRPs, you know. Uh, we'll see what happens when we put the pants on. We'll see what happens when they get to September. But, uh, you know, let's face it, they've got so many athletes. When you look at the numbers recruiting-wise and you compare the USC numbers to the rest of the Pac-12, I mean, you almost can't. I mean, USC's numbers compare basically to all the rest of the Pac-12 put together. Um, so there's a when you say there's a lot of athletes on the field at USC, there are a lot of athletes on the field at USC. I mean, they really are. Uh, so you ought to be able to make something out of that. Yeah, you should. There's enough. There's enough athletes uh, in your. You know, if you're in your spice rack, you could make something that tastes really good. You know, there's enough, you have enough variety there that you should be able to come up with something. Um, let's see, we got John in Brea. He says, thank you and the uscfootball.com team for helping us get through the summer and the offseason. Once again, Dan was spot on with his call about USC's offensive line and the need for that unit to be one of the nation's best if USC is to compete for national titles again. Question. Do you think the resurgence of Stanford under Jim Har- Harbaugh and now David Shaw is a big factor in USC not getting back to that elite level on the offensive line? It seems to me over the past 10 years, Stanford is getting a lot of the five-star offensive linemen that normally would have gone to USC. Also coinciding with Stanford's uh, renaissance was a change in USC's offense under Kiffin, Sark, and now Clay Helton is the number of is, I'm sorry, is the current offensive philosophy, not to mention, quote-unquote, no pads November, conducive to having a big, physical, tough, athletic offensive line? Thanks for all you do. Only 50 days till the first game. Fight on, John in Brea. Yeah, John, I think that's an interesting uh, you know, thought. Of maybe five years ago, six years ago, there was kind of that uh, you know, USC not having a really – well-defined personality and Stanford was kind of, you know, the intersection when Harbaugh is leaving and Shaw's coming in and, and they did get some, you know, some players, uh, you know, some offensive linemen at the time. I don't know that that's necessarily the case now. I think, I think the case with USC is it, it's not Stanford. It, it's USC. I mean, last year, to be honest, USC blocked the heck out of Stanford. I mean, they, USC was just, totally dominant in game one and dominant enough in game two that shouldn't have been, you know, all that close. But, uh, but I don't think, you know, I think, you know, for a while you can give Stanford some credit. I don't think that's the case. Now USC ought to be more dominant than, than they are. They, they've recruited what looked like 
some, you know, fairly dominant defensive players. But, uh, you know, you gotta, I think the offensive linemen just have to, have to become more dominant. I know Phil Steele says they're the number eight offensive line in the country. And a lot of that is because of the four starters back and, and, you know, either Austin Jackson or Clayton Johnson or whatever. But, uh, I, I think the thing we're not seeing is an offensive line that has the ability to go into Notre Dame when they're all fired up and really trying to take the ball away and dominate early or an offensive line that has the ability to, you know, to go to the cotton bowl against a, a really outstanding uh, Ohio state front or an offensive line that had some guys hurt and went to Washington state and couldn't drive the ball against, you know, a team with playing 250 pound, uh, you know, defensive tackles. Uh, that, that shouldn't be the case. USC, has to be more physical, has to be more focused. I think being the, you know, making the decision to go run first will allow them to be more aggressive every day in practice. It'll allow the offensive linemen to focus more on, you know, that kind of, you know, physical football. And it'll help, I think, if you force teams to defend the run. Even last year, um, USC couldn't depend on the run as good as Ronald Jones was and as much of a threat as he was to break one, you weren't really sure in, in third and short that they were going to be able to pound the ball in there. And some of that was scheme. And some of that was, uh, you know, toughness and physicality and the way they practice it. And uh, I think they've, they've got to have the mindset that we are going to whip you on the offensive line, whoever you are. And, and let's face it, in the Pac-12, you ought to be able to do that. I mean, you really ought to. And maybe that's the problem. You can do that in the Pac-12, even if you don't focus on it and, and, and you force it to happen because you're USC. But you've got to be able to make that step if you want to be USC and take that step up, you know, to nationally uh, being competitive. You have to be able to um, to go against the Ohio State and the Notre Dames uh, away from home. And that we haven't seen. I mean, we didn't see it last year a lot of times, you know, like against Texas. I mean, Texas certainly won the physical battle last year. Heck, Western Michigan almost won, you know, the physical battle last year. Utah did. Uh, uh, UCLA did. Uh, That can't be allowed to stand. USC's got to be going into these games and saying, we're going to be able to dominate uh, at the line of scrimmage on offense. And, uh, you know, I think there were ways, you know, it got there in a number of ways. The scholarship sanctions, I think, hurt the way they practice as a result of the scholarship sanctions. Having three straight offensive coordinator quarterbacks in college who didn't hit while they were in college themselves uh, as head coaches, uh, I think that hurt. Uh, a little indecisiveness as to what exactly do you want the offense to be. I mean, last year, do we still know what? What exactly did they want to do on offense? It looked like, you know, it was one of those, well, let's make, you know, hope Sam makes a play. Um, that wasn't, that wasn't good enough. I think they've got to, you know, develop a personality and, and really be able to, uh, you know, stick to it and make it happen. And I didn't see the sense that USC was going to go into games and just flat out take them over and make the game go their way other than, the uh, first Stanford game, which, I mean, they did things, and you, you look at the film, and they, they blocked people, and 
they got downfield and the timing and and then that all went away it just it's hard to believe you know where it went but it absolutely went away and went away quickly and then it was more like come on sam make a play (laughs) and that's that's just too hard to do as we saw as sam saw i mean you know it happened once against uh penn state in one of those games that uh it'll never happen again uh but i i did that even said you know today that i think they couldn't get that game out of their heads that game as much as they said they wanted to forget the penn state game and move on they could not no one could and they were always hoping to you know, recreate that, and, uh, you know, people wouldn't let him. And, you know, Sam, you know, suffered from that, all those, all the turnovers and the way people took, you know, they came at him. Uh, that was a, that was a tough year last year, I think. Despite Sam, despite Ronald Jones, despite Deontay Burnett, that was a tough year on offense, I think, in a lot of ways. When, uh, when they really needed to be able to play offense at Washington State, at Notre Dame, and against, uh, Ohio State, they could not. Uh, and and that that's not a good year. And so they, uh, I think the focus this year will be better. I think the offensive scheme will be better. Uh, we'll see. I think they I think they I think they'll practice harder. I think they have to. Players know it. Coaches have to know it. I mean, we'll, we can talk to them about it. They'll always tell us, yeah. But you really have to believe it, and you really have to do it. I think they I think they will. But I, I wish I didn't have to be guessing uh, right now about that. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into the rest of the questions, wanted to thank Trader Joe's. We've been working with them for over a year, planning on, once we get the fall camp schedule, planning on doing another sort of tailgate event at one of, or before one of the USC practices. We'll send you more details when that happens. But uh, you can go to TraderJoe's.com. But if you have one in your neighborhood, I have one in uh, Hermosa Beach, where I'm from. I uh, just picked up uh, a 12 pack of specialty beers that I like to to have. We always buy bottles of wine, uh, pick up some cheese, crackers, different snacks. Uh, my wife and I had dinner last night and it was uh, like some different Indian food that we had bought from Trader Joe's. So some good stuff. Uh, we love Dan and I both love going. Bring your USC Trader Joe's bag and we're going to get a whole bunch more of those. So hopefully you can come to our event in August. We're going to give away. Hundreds more of those uh, Trader Joe's bags that are USC branded. So uh, great stuff from from Trader Joe's. And Dan, I know you love them too. You might have to do a little work to get me up to speed on the Indian food, though. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> I, I th- I, I, I'd have to try that. I'd have to, uh, an acquired taste, as they say. I, I don't know. I don't know much you know, about it. So. Indian guy. Yeah. So uh, so a lot Trader of Trader Joe's would be a place to explore stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I like Indian food, but there'll be like, so um, bags of lentils or there'll be some different vegetables and stuff. And then um, you can cook some chicken and some rice and just kind of put it together. So it's similar to what you would get like at an Indian restaurant. Uh, I love the garlic naan. Uh, You can get that kind of stuff too. So I always buy some, you know, I don't tell my wife, but I buy a little package of cookies and I'll bring those into my office. (laughs) But yeah. I can go with you on that. I can go with you on those cookies. All right. Um, thanks to Trader Joe's and wanted to let's move on. We got SC Maid wrote in. He said, your team is the best out there and I appreciate all the work you do. Well, thank you very much. He said on the last podcast, Dan mentioned not wanting to show schemes in the UNLV game before facing Stanford and Texas. I'm not sure if he, if I misunderstood Dan, but aren't we all in agreement 
of not wanting to be cute and sneaky anymore. If you know you have the best team out there and the team that can execute, who cares if the opposing team gets one game worth of film with this new team slash lineup? In my opinion, there is no reason to hide your rotations and scheme. Let the team do what they do and learn to master it. If Clancy's scheme is as good as Clay thinks it is, and if the players are executing to the level we know they can, Stanford and Texas cannot stop them. I think the same should be with our offense. Focus on the trenches, play physical, and run the rock to set up play action. I hope nothing more than for Clay to take the next step this year and inserting himself as a top-tier coach. Best from SC Made. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with you. Uh, I think the realistic person says, they probably won't show, you know, what they're thinking about doing for uh, uh, Stanford and, and Texas. But, you know, you, you can't hold anything back at Stanford. So Texas is obviously going to see what they see. And everybody, you don't prepare the same way. I mean, this is one of the, my points I would like to make for them is I wish they would focus more on USC being USC. And sure, you're going to prepare differently for all three of those games. But don't make the emphasis on preparing for the other team. Make the emphasis preparing your team to play your football and dare them to stop your team doing what you do well. Spend more time, you know, not reacting, not reacting to what you see from them on film, but making them react to you, making them, you know, be good enough to stop you doing what you do best. And, uh, you know, that's my, that's my tendency. It is one of the issues, I think, sometimes when, uh, when the head coach or the three straight head coaches are all play callers, are all play designers, are all, you know, people who that's how they look at football through designing. I mean, we know the story of Lane and, and Steve would, you know, on cocktail napkins, probably not a good sign were drawing plays when they were assistants. And that's how they saw, you know, the game of football. I'm not sure that's when you're at USC. I don't know that you need to be trying to fool people, trying to, you know, come up with different schemes every week that, you know, show how smart the head coach is or anything like that. I think you need to do what, you know, you need to figure out what do these guys do best? How do we do it? How do we get there every week? And you just turn them loose and say, see if you guys can stop them because we think we're better than you are and we do what we do better than you do. And yeah, that's my, my general approach. And, uh, uh, I, I would agree with SC made. Okay. Thanks for that one. SC made. And for the kind words, Tarek simple in a very Tarek fashion. How can Clay Helton improve on the road this year? Uh, I think one of the ways you improve on the road is, and I know, you know, people get, oh, you're always harking back to this and that. Uh, it's all about the ball and you don't give the ball away. I mean, how different would all three of the losses have been had USC not turned the ball over or had they taken it away? Uh, and I think they've really got to focus on that. That's just got to be more important than it's been. I think on the road, you just can't be giving up the ball like they did early, uh, you know, against Ohio State and, and, and certainly uh, Notre Dame. You cannot do that. You gotta, you know, make them work really hard. Uh, and your defense, 
I think if you're more of a defense first team, you take them, you don't let them in the game. You don't let their crowd get all fired up. You, you, you frustrate them a little bit. Uh, I mean, I always think the perfect example of USC football was that, you know, year when uh, Matt Liner came in to replace Carson Palmer. Uh, and you lost your Heisman Trophy winning, you know, quarterback. You lost your, you know, super safety, Troy Palomalo. You went to Auburn, who some people thought could win the national championship. And you don't let Auburn play. You just, Auburn had a whole ton of guys that went play, went to play in the NFL, quarterbacks and running backs and linebackers and all that. They didn't let them just, USC said, no, we're not letting you play. And, you know, that was the game when the Auburn, you know, fans were saluting their, recently deceased uh, uh, play-by-play guy, radio guy, and half the stadium was asked to, you know, his standard call was, touchdown, Auburn! And they would have half the, you know, 40-some thousand. They, they practiced it before their kickoff. You know, one side of the stadium would say, touchdown, and the other side would, Auburn, touchdown! You know, and, and so they, they tell them, this is what we're going to do. Uh, when we score against USC, only problem, USC didn't let them score. They, they said, nope, you're not scoring. They didn't get it, you know, they didn't get it one chance to do that all day to do the famous touchdown Auburn. And that's how you went on the road. You take the crowd out. And that, that game, USC literally took the crowd out. And, and this defense is starting to think like that. Uh, you're getting a sense that they're realizing if we can take the ball away from people, if we can make it really hard on, I mean, and one of the reasons they stay later is they work on the pass rush. And when you see what they're doing, you know, even with no pads, they're busting their tails, uh, you know, getting into the backfield and they're going uh, full speed. And I like, you know, I like the looks of that. So to me, that's how you, that's how you improve on the road. You don't turn the ball over, you take it away, and you really, really do not let them play on offense. You just, you know, frustrate them. You keep them in their, you know, their end of the, you know, you know. I think Auburn crossed the 50 once in that game. And then that, you know, because that was a game USC wasn't sure what Matt Leinart was going to do. They, they maybe let him have half the playbook. Um, first play of the game that Auburn threw the ball, Darnell Bing intercepts it. You know, they're deep in, you know, Auburn territory, short field. You do that. And all of a sudden that crowd that had been there for an hour and a half, you know, with the stadium full and yelling and screaming got really quiet. It was like, uh oh, this is not going to be easy. And, uh, I, I think there's some things about football that just, you know, stand the test of time. And that would be that would be one of them. Uh, and I don't know that this program in recent years has been uh, a team that focused on we're going to take away your ability to run your offense. We're just going to shut you down. We're going to not make mistakes. We're going to you know we're going to be aggressive enough. We're, we're not going to worry about guys not carrying out their assignments so that we can be aggressive every time. I mean that's one of the things that I think hurt Clancy in terms of being as aggressive as he wanted to be, because I'm not sure he trusted everybody to do the right thing. And if you're all, you know, flying around out there and one guy doesn't do what he's doing, you know, here you got 10 guys that have made great plays and 
they waltzed to a touchdown because the 11th guy went the wrong way. And I think they, you know, they're, they're past that, I think now, but, uh, but that's what I, that's how I would approach it on, on road games. And obviously how big are the first two road games this year? Uh, so I think they've got to figure that out. They've got to, you know, be able to go on the road and, uh, and they're going to have to go to, for the two games in the South, you know, they've got a road game at Arizona at the end of September. Uh, it's really going to be important with Khalil Tate and the new coach. And I don't, you know, I'm sure Arizona is going to be all fired up to see what they can do. And then USC three weeks later goes to Utah. So, you know, the other team that thinks it has a chance in the South. So, uh, solving the road portion of the schedule is going to be really, really important. I mean, that's four of the first, whatever, six or seven games that really matter, and they're on the road. I, You know, I picked um, 24-7 Sports will do some video shoots with me, and they'll just ask me, like, a question, and, you know, I give, like, a minute and a half answer, but that was my pick for they wanted to know what a trap game was this year, and I picked the Arizona game. Um, yeah. What, I would, think, would you agree with that? Or Absolutely, yeah, because there's so much focus on uh, – on, uh, uh, Stanford and Texas, and you got the five, you know, the Friday night uh, Washington State game. It's at home this year, even though USC coming off of two straight weeks on the road uh, to a short week of preparation, which is ridiculous. And when you talk to the USC coaches now, they say, and maybe they overthought it, but they said you've got to start managing your personnel in the week or two before, knowing you're going to have a short week. Uh, Anyway, whatever week that is, you know that they're going to be, you know, players that maybe won't quite be ready to go, uh, which was certainly the case last year. But so now you've gotten through those games, and here's a another another trip to Arizona. The end, you know, the end of September, and God knows how hot it's going to be. I don't know. I mean, you know, at least we know the Texas game is whatever. 5.30 kickoff or something like that. Uh, but it's it 6.30 Texas time. Not sure. It's, it's, uh, it's a primetime game at least. But, um, but who knows about the Arizona game and, you know, September and, uh, Tucson. Um, you're going to have to be ready. I think the last time uh, was, uh, the last time they got a day game in Tucson. And that was the game where, uh, Keeley's shoes melted. Uh, if you remember <laughs> that, remember her, her rubber, uh, she had the rubber sole shoes and they melted on the turf. Uh, so, uh, I think you got to be ready for that trip to Tucson. Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's go to Big Nick again. He said, have you seen any improvement in the special teams unit since last year's football season? Which we really no. haven't had a chance, right? Because it would just be <laughs> spring football, but, and there's really nothing in the summer, but. What do you think about? Well, I mean, I, I, I was too flip. Uh, some of the times before practice, you will see um, uh, Jenny Harris live catching punts, and that's impressive uh, because you know, they're not doing anything that has anything to do with uh, special teams in the summer. Uh, just watching uh, Amon Ra's hands and his decisiveness and his toughness and all that makes you think that uh, that they're going to have a, more answers on special teams. Watching Vilas Jones, um, bigger, stronger, quicker, and, and, and it doesn't look like he 
is looking for a place to fall down or doesn't have kind of the balance. There was sort of a top heaviness balance issue that seemed to, on first contact, uh, put him on the ground. I'm not seeing that anymore. I'm seeing a guy that is trying to, you know, just run through, uh, run through contact big time. And he got a, a bigger, uh, you know, stronger, more athletic looking frame, uh, in order to do that. He's getting a chance to run it in the offense as well. So, uh, so I think just by natural, uh, you know, development and additional personnel, I think they're going to get better. I think in terms of if you consider all the special teams, you consider the coverage teams, there are so many big athletic safeties, uh, secondary guys, and linebackers. You really should be able to, you know, fill your coverage teams, uh, both punt and, uh, and kickoff coverage teams with a ton of guys that ought to be able to cover. I mean, really, they're just, just a, a lot of people that you're going to be able to pick from on the coverage team. So, so we haven't seen it yet, but you would be able to, I think, just uh, assume that that there's going to be a jump up. And the fact that um, John Baxter will not have to coach the tight ends this year um, and can concentrate on special teams, we hope that's a good thing. Uh, we don't want it, you know, where it dominates practice. But uh, but there's a lot of opportunity, I think, to you know improve on special teams. They better improve on special teams. That was not a good good effort for for a team with as many athletes as USC has. Last year was was not uh, was not a good uh, effort by the by the special teams. Certainly not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's go. I was on that. I've been harping on yep. that for a while. Uh, Boyd in San Ramon, any ideas when training camp will start and if they will be open to the public or do you know when that info will be released? We are making travel plans and thinking of bringing my five-year-old son to a practice. Also, I think I've seen kids line up and high five the players as they exit the McKay center. Is that right from Boyd? Yeah. I mean, I think they're good. That's what we understand. What we don't know, uh, August 3rd, I guess is the first day. What we don't know are times. Uh, but we assume that until they get into game week, uh, that there will be, uh, like every year that, uh, you know, fans will be able to, um, you know, go to practice. Uh, they also limited practice, uh, uh, viewing, uh, when they were at the Coliseum. And we're not sure how that's going to work. Um, uh, will it be limited just because they're letting the grass set in? I mean, it's, uh, you know, the turf is down. And they, I know they're talking about they'd like six weeks. And the Rams, I think, are in there like August 15th and the 22nd or something like that, the, the middle and like the, sec, the third and fourth weeks of uh, preseason uh, for the NFL. Um, so will USC go in there uh, and have some practices that maybe uh, uh, fans can't watch or have a scrimmage or two? I would guess they will. But uh, we haven't gotten the absolute, uh, you know, final uh, practice schedule. But I, I would think you'll be able to come. I just don't want to necessarily tell you when, you know, what time uh, or what days those uh, practices are going to be. Yeah. Um, pro- my guess the first couple of weeks will be open, but we just don't know right. yet. And they, when's the last 
they they kind of wait to tell us, right? Like they for spring yeah. ball, it was like the week before, not even the week before. I think it was like a few yeah, days. Yeah, I think before. it's the I think it's the um, the times that I mean I I don't know if they're going to have anybody in class uh, at the very end of the summer. I don't know if that's you know becomes a factor. Um, I, I I don't know for sure what you know what are all the determining factors in terms of you know why they don't necessarily uh, you know let us know in advance or maybe they don't want the players completely to know uh, what the times of practices are or what I mean I think there's always the case of uh oh if you tell the players early enough uh, when their days off are going to be they're maybe uh, planning to take advantage of okay that's our day off or that's our day off and so there's a tendency not to want to put that out there too early so that uh, they can kind of make sure that, you know, players don't, don't say, Oh, okay, I can go here or I can do this or, or a group of them, you know, get together. Uh, I think they'd rather not have that information out too early uh, for players to be able to kind of look at it and see what time it, I mean, you know, it's a big difference too. If you're going to practice at nine in the morning or, you know, seven thirty in the evening, um, and you just, you know, you know you're going to practice, but you don't say exactly when. Uh, it's hard to probably plan a, you know, a trip to the beach or, you know, go fishing or whatever. You you kind of have to, you know, hold back. So, uh, I would think we won't know way way early. Um, like every, like other years, I think they're gonna, and there might also be some issues with, with the new field and the construction at the Coliseum and the Rams and all of that, uh, that might play into it a little bit as well, I think this year. All right, we got a couple more. We'll let you go. Uh, Joan, formerly of Ketchum, Idaho, who we got to see, <laughs> uh, she came out to practice last week, I believe it was. What yep. do you, uh, what do you think Max Nikias's resignation, uh, effect will be on the football program in your opinion is it a positive or a negative and why thanks dudes and thank you for keeping us so well informed on everything usc football well interesting question uh max who has a uh has a summer home up there near ketchum sun valley uh, uh where joan is and i think there are a lot of usc people up there up that way uh i mean i i think they were Getting close to the place where, with Max as the uh, uh, head of the Pac-12 CEO group, uh, a Pac-12 CEO group that's starting to get hit with the reality stick of $20 million a year per team less than the Big Ten, I think that reality is setting in. And it's interesting. It's setting in on the lower-rung teams who really need that cash. And... Uh, so Max was in charge of that group, and I thought he was positioned well. He's also he was also, at the time of his resignation, he was the head of the um, college football playoff committee. So it's kind of unfortunate that having you know earned his you know way into those two really uh, you know places where he could have some real influence, uh, that he won't be there um, and. I think Max could have been a real leader because I think there were only three uh, Pac-12 CEOs who were 
there when they hired Larry Scott originally. And I think Max would have been one of those who said, you know, who would have the ability to really influence the newer people uh, if he said, look, this isn't working. We've got to maybe think about going a different direction. I think he was he was well placed to maybe be that person. I don't know that the new person, when and if USC you know gets that new person in the next six months, will be in any position. Uh, obviously, won't be the you know chair of the college football playoff committee, but also maybe won't have that same ability to um, uh, you know be influential right away in the Pac-12 which really has to make some serious decisions about where they want to go in football, how they want to go there, who they want to listen to. Do they still want to listen to Larry Scott? I mean, my goodness, 12 years uh, right now, the potential of having 12 years of saying, we're going to get this TV thing right the next time. Uh, or, you know, we do a whole lot of soccer games that are really, you know, really of interest to the people in the game, you know, whose parents can't come to the game. No, that's not working. And uh, so I thought they had more opportunity to change some of that with Max still in there. I don't know that USC can have the same kind of influence, uh, you know, right now. And that's too bad. Um, uh, I, I do think Max was a positive. I know that a lot of people don't agree maybe, but he did really – like the football program, care about the you know the program. He needed some more help, I think, from the athletic department. To be honest, and this is what we need to do. This is how we need to do it. I think he needed people. You know, I mean, if you were Max Zacchaeus and the people advising you said, "Yeah, let's hire that," you know, Steve Sarkeesian. He's got a really good reputation. <clears throat> it, you know, Washington, uh, if you were Max, after that recommendation, you would probably say, you know, I'm not going to probably buy the next recommendation these guys, you know, send my way. And, uh, and that was a problem. I think, you know, I'd, I'd like to see more, you know, leadership from, you know, the USC athletic department, to be honest. And especially with the new president coming in and, uh, I think we're still waiting to see if that happens. And I'm not sure, you know, we've, we've seen the signs of that. I don't know what, what you think, Ryan, but uh, I don't know that I've seen that. No, you have not. Um, I mean, just leadership decisions, man, I can't even spit that out. Uh, been a lot of podcasting today. Yeah. Been questionable decisions on the leadership side, you know? So I, I, it's hard to say what kind of impact um, this is going to have on it. I think, you know, winning will will solve a lot of problems. If if this team's not winning, and then you know decisions have to be made at the top, we just don't know uh, what direction people are going to go. So I think Clay Elton can help himself by just winning a whole bunch of games, and then you don't care really what the decisions are made above you at that point. Um, but if if he doesn't, and someone wants to make a change at some point down the road, whenever it is, I don't know. If you have people in play, we just don't know at this point uh, who's going to make those decisions and if they're going to be good ones because there have been a lot of poor decisions, I guess you could say, Dan, from upper the, the leadership uh, at USC over the last several years. Yeah, and, and I don't think you can look for 
top-down leadership in terms of, you know, that it's going to come. A lot of people personalize it with the president, but he can't ask the president to be, you know, the guy that's, you know, given the direct. I mean, every once in a while, there's a college president like that. And I remember a long time ago, I wanted to be a football coach, and I, I, I remember buying Bear Bryant's first book about being a football coach. And I, First thing he said, then you realize, oh, he's talking about being a college coach. The first thing he said is, don't go somewhere where the president isn't going to support you. He said, if you're going to be as good a football coach as you can be, you have to find the right president. And he went, you know, to from Kentucky, he went to Texas A&M, and then he knew the new president, the University of Alabama, was a, a doctor, I think it was Frank Rose, but he had been the president at Transylvania University in Lexington, Kentucky, when Bear was coaching at, at Kentucky. And he was, he, Bear really liked him and trusted him, and he was the new president in Alabama. And that's when Bear said, you know, I think this is the right time to go back to Alabama. That president likes me, I like him, we trust each other, let's make this work. Uh, that's the ideal situation. If you have a president that, you know, trusts you and likes you and, and it all works together. Um, uh, but I think it has to come from both ends of that, um, you know, that, you know, combination with the president and the athletic department and the, and the head coach. And <clears throat> I'm not sure we've seen enough of that, uh, from either direction. Uh, but I, I, I still don't think it works as much as if it's the president driving it. I think it's got to be the the athletic department has to be really, really strong uh, in their own mind. What exactly do we want here? And I don't know that we've seen that. And uh, I think the Coliseum renovation is a is a is a good example of you know of maybe not being focused enough on what is the best thing for everybody involved with the program. And uh, um, USC needs to figure it out. I think uh, USC, when USC has the right coach, obviously, if you look at their history, they are very, very good. I mean, and that's the always the opportunity. Uh, if, and if the program is and, – and at USC, the really good coach can win no matter who's the president and no matter who's the – athletic director uh that's one of the 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 great things about you there are some programs like that usc is one of them um but if you get everybody working together and they're all working smart and they're working hard and they're unafraid uh, you can be pretty good all right i got one last one jason in longhorn country uh, I think he sent this a little bit before, but he said, Oregon State just won the national championship in baseball, but this seems to only confirm how rigged the system is against the Pac-12. The Pac-12 only fielded four teams in the regionals, which is tied for the lowest amount of teams fielded by a Power 5 conference. Who were they tied with? A notoriously awful baseball conference, the Big Ten. Do you think the last time the Big Ten won uh, – do you know the last time the Big Ten won a national championship in baseball? Uh, baseball, Ohio State – in 1966, do you know the last time the Big Ten was in the finals in baseball? Ohio State in 1966. By comparison, the Pac-12 has had five champions and two runners-up in the last 13 years. That means the Pac-12 
Uh, a Pac-12 team has competed in the final seven of the last 13 years. And after that, and after all of that, they are tied with the Big Ten with only four teams in this year's field of 64. Are you kidding me? This is just absolutely ludicrous. It's almost comical to think about the unfounded bias against the Pac-12 in the sport. Anyways, end of rant. Thanks for uh, all that you and the team do in the coverage of SC. Fight on, Jason in Longhorn Country. Yeah, Jason couldn't be more correct. I mean, it's it's enough to drive you crazy. Uh, the the and the same thing happens in softball. They are scared to death of the Pac-12, and they're going to see them in ways in which they have to play one another or have to travel. Um, and they're so you know so obviously SEC uh, oriented and and dominated uh, that you know they do make the you know, they make life difficult for the Pac-12. And um, obviously, Oregon State is one of the unbelievable stories. I mean, how many baseball players are in Oregon to begin with? Uh, and and, and you, you're fighting the weather. You're fighting the geography. Uh, you've got to emerge from a Pac-12 that's pretty good. And you're coming out a little Corvallis. I mean, they, they, they do such a marvelous job there. Uh, they're, that, that's as good a story as much as maybe we're not always upbeat on Oregon State as a member of the Pac-12. What they do in baseball is so good and, and, and such a joy to, to watch and, and how they do it. Uh, but yeah, the, I mean, for years you look at what the committees do in both baseball and softball against the Pac-12 and you just shake your head and said, this is horrible. How do these people you know, live with themselves. They're not even trying to be fair. Uh, and, um, you know, the, they get upset if the number 11 team in the Pac-12 or the SEC doesn't make it. It's like, how is that possible? Oh, my gosh, you know, what's going on? And, you know, uh, but they don't have any trouble cutting the uh, Pac-12 off at four. Uh, I mean, let's face it, you know, the Pac-12 has the best, best tradition in the history of, um, of, of college baseball. And obviously USC, even now, uh, as far removed as they are, still has the number one, uh, you know, historical program in, in, in college baseball. And, uh, it doesn't seem to matter because there are other people working a lot harder to get all their teams in. I mean, if you watch ESPN, either baseball or softball, I mean, when was the last time a Pac-12 game was on? any of those, uh, you know, weekend, Saturday, Sunday, uh, never, you know, you might see Texas A&M on there 15 times in, in one season. You're not going to see Oregon state on there. Uh, and some of that's the pac 12s own fault because they didn't make any kind of agreement with ESPN and they don't, you know, they wanted to keep their TV package, uh, separate and all that. But, uh, uh, yeah. Jason, I, I don't disagree with you. Uh, and it would be tough to be a, a, a Trojan in Longhorn country knowing how they, uh, how they look at things. Uh, but uh, uh, you couldn't be more correct. All right. Well, thanks for that one. And thanks for all the questions that everybody sent in. Uh, it's about an hour. Not too bad. Um, yeah, Dan, we'll, uh, we'll, I guess we'll see you out there on Friday for USC's next summer workout. And then next week, We'll be in Hollywood, Hollywood and Highland for a very long day uh, at Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, because they're getting an 8 o'clock start. For me, that means leaving uh, Orange County about 6. 
and they're going strong until six at night. Uh, uh, whereas the uh, the SEC has expanded to four days, which would drive me crazy too. If you're in Hoover, Alabama, or wherever for four days in the middle of the summer, that's not my idea of a good time either. But uh, but you know, I'd rather do it in one day. But boy, that's going to be a big, long, uh, uh, hard day in Hollywood for uh, for those of us who are going to be there. But uh, but it's fun, and uh, and we we you do get a you know you get immersed in it. I mean, it's just like a flood of faces and names, and and you do get a chance to you know get to talk to the coaches, get to talk to the players. You get a sense of who they are. You know the the Bryce Love and, and what kind of a you know quality kid he is and just you know there's so many of those kids and a lot of these quarterbacks in the Pac-12 and uh, and that'll be cool and you do get you know really really good opportunities to you know to talk to them and you actually get a chance to have lunch with Larry Scott so uh, hey can't beat that we're hoping I think if the sun is out like it's been that they get a little a few more uh, umbrellas to protect. The tables. I don't know, Ryan. We were trying to always find out, you know, where is the shade going to be when you try to <laughs> sit down, you know, for lunch? Because they're like half of the tables are are not protected, and you know, it gets really hot on the on the top of that uh, on the Hollywood Hotel or whatever it is. Lowe's, I guess it's Lowe's Hollywood. Um, but um, good opportunities to uh, to talk to people you you like to talk to. It's going to be tougher now it. because it was split up two days and now you're gonna have everybody getting lunch around the same time i mean i don't know it's gonna be Ooh, that's a good point a lot more people eating lunch at the same time yeah yeah so i'm not sure yeah i don't know why they did that but whatever well i think one of the reasons was uh the la people didn't all come when it was usc day they did and then they didn't come back for the ucla day i think I think that was part of it that people were picking and choosing. And I, we were talking today. I think the, uh, the hotel rate, uh, is $259 a night. And I'm sure there are a lot of newspapers that look at that, you know, around the Pac-12 and say, man, that's a lot. I know, you know, hotel rates have gone up way more than everything except college tuition, I think. Uh, but, um, that just seems like a lot for some of the papers you know, that are coming in to, you know, cover Pac-12 Media Day that they'd probably rather not spend, uh, you know, two or three nights in Hollywood at those kind of rates. I mean, those are the good rates. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. I'd rather have it someplace else that's a little bit easier. It's just really hard to get there. Um, no matter where you're from, it's going to take – there's traffic is terrible and it's expensive. Yeah, I, and- I suggested that USC hosted. I mean, they've got – all kinds of conference centers and, you know, easy parking and kind of in the middle of everything. I don't know why USC, I mean, UCLA in effect hosted it that one year at the Rose Bowl, but uh, I don't think that would have been a bad idea for USC to, to host it. But, you know, they're, they're so afraid in the Pac-12 of USC looking like they're getting any sort of a favoritism or having any sort of control. But, uh, but I think you know if you're going to have it in LA every year, um, I think USC be the you know the a perfect place to host it. Yeah. But. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back. Check out. Make sure you check out the site. We got lots of stuff going up. Lots of stuff going on. 
tons of coverage uh, of this Trojan football team. So check it out. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 